What's this week's sports zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Parkson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, ever as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport and Salford and beyond. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, still a bit raw from from uh, Saturday's match with the Salford Red Devils, but uh, but no, I'll talk about it. Rob, you know me. Uh, looking forward to the show. There should be plenty to uh, get out even too. Yeah, we'll start with the playoff semi final on Salford Devils. They went down to. St. Helens, 19 points to 12. Paul Rowley's men fall at the final hurdle. Yeah, uh, they, they did. And it was, a, it was a very tough game. St. Helens had a, had a game plan, I think, for us. And they executed it. And they were tough. And it was a, it was a cracking match. It was a privilege to be involved in, really. You know, when we consider some of the games we've seen over the years, you know, dropping down the leagues. And to be that close to a grand final, it was it was an outstanding effort, a heroic effort. Losing Andy Acker's early doors in the game was a big blow. We'd already lost Brody Croft. So we had to swap things around. But the players gave everything. And uh, and just came up short, and you know it's one of them things. Some of those decisions go the other way, and you're in a grand final. And it's it can be a cruel game rugby league sometimes, in a tough sport, and you've just got to take it on the chin now. And uh, we've had a great season though, and um, fully enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, the luck wasn't really in Bolford, obviously with the Andy Acker's injury, Brody Croft injured the week before. How different would it have been if both were fit? Yeah, I don't think we'll ever know. It's, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, Saints had a few players out as well. I think everybody does this time of the year, don't they? People get injured, and it's a long, it's a long season. You know, you start that season sort of January. We're almost in October now, aren't we? So it, it does go on a long time, and you know, it, Salford were peaking at the right time, though. For me, they were playing some cracking stuff, you know, in the last sort of few months, and looking one of the best sides in the division. And I think we we, we got Saints on a good day there. Saints were ferocious, and I think they had to be. They played it close to the knuckle, you. Know, you know, there were some incidents, you know, where you think, blimey, that was an eye tackle, this was an eye. But it's tough. It's not chess, as I've said before. It's rugby league. It's a tough sport. And St. Helens are that sort of side that will do anything to win. They're, they're not champions for, for nothing. And if you're going to go there in the champions' backyard and beat them, you've got to go there and knock them out. You're not going to get decisions. They're going to get the decisions because they're the champions. And it's like that in any sport. So it was always going to be tough. And I think anybody who thought Salford were favourites were a bit naive. I think St. Helens were always going to be favourites for that game. And, and they were, and, and, and they limited us. We didn't have a lot of ball at all. It was, they had all the territory. We had to weather storms and we did. And we came back in 13, 12. I think we had them rocking, especially on that right edge, you know, Comrade Hull and Bachelor was defending out there. We had them there if we could have just got a bit of ball there, maybe another 10 minutes of the game could have gone the other way. But, you know, it's one of those things. It's um, It's been a mammoth effort from Salford all season and Paul Rowley's done a marvellous job getting the best out of that squad and turning some some players who, who probably not really household names into into to cracking players, really. And, um, yeah, roll on 2023. Yeah, obviously, Salford were down uh, 12-0 at one point. Then they fought back with tries from Callum Watkins and Ryan Briley and... Obviously, unfortunately, it just wasn't meant to be for so. But there was some big decisions in the game. Um, you know, it's they say sometimes of the referees, uh, they can be an influence on the game. Do you think, obviously, that that was the case in this game? Did Chris Kendall officiate the match in the right way? Do you think? Do you know what? The grand final a few years ago, I thought he officiated that. He was pretty tough on us that night. You know, uh, we had a tried disallowed, and he seemed to get away with a lot. And I don't know. He, he seems to. He's a tough referee, and you know, I'm not having a go at him. But there, there were things I thought that that went against us. But in the cold light of day, there was 
you know, Mark Sneed, he, he got caught out a bit for that, that last try saying scored. And you can blame referees until the cows come home, Rob, but it's not going to change the result. Um, so you've just got to, you've got to take it on the chin. You can't sit there moaning on about it because it's not going to change. So as much as it hurt me on Saturday, yeah, the, the laugh I won, who knows? We, we can watch it hundreds and hundreds of times and you don't know that ball could have bounced it could have sat up in the end goal area we don't know we'll never know it's one of them now it's fish and chip paper and you've just got to get on with it you can debate these things forever and ever and ever can't you so yeah it hurt at the time but we, we've got beat now and it, it's gone so um, so yeah you'll always get controversy in big games like that it's, it's just the nature of sport who impressed who impress you the most uh, on Saturday for Salford? For Salford, I thought Chris Atkin was like the bionic man. I said that in my report. I think he got so much clatter. He was like a boxer. He just kept coming back for more. He went off to the blood bin. He was straight back on. His his performance was heroic. He got some treatment off St. Helens and so did Mark Sneed. Every time he kicked the ball, he got clattered. Um, but the, the bravery that they showed in the game was tremendous. I thought Amir Burra, you know, he was chucked in at the deep end there after about a minute into the game. Um, he's a bit raw. He's still only youngster. I thought... He works his socks off. He's probably not at the same level as Andy Ackers is at the moment, but you can't ask for any more. You can only ask for effort, and the effort of every single one of them, I thought, was absolutely outstanding. They, 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 they ran the blood to water, and that's all you can ask for as a supporter. And if you're beaten at the end of the day and you're given everything, you know that that's the end of it. There's there's, there's nothing more we can ask for as supporters. It's, it's been a been a privilege to watch this season, Rob. Yeah, Leeds uh, set Ellen's final Old Trafford on Saturday. Who's your winner? Um, I think St. Helens are, are going to be the favourites but I think you, Leeds can grind things out they, they, they ground out a terrific win on Friday night against uh, against Wigan you know in Wigan's backyard I thought that was a great win for, for Leeds and they've come with a real uh, sort of wet sail towards the end of the season I think they're form they're the form side in the Super League so they're dangerous um, so it could go either way the bookies will have St. Helens as favourites and if they play against Salford on, on the weekend they will be but I just think there's a sting in the tail I think it'll be a close game it always is in the grand final you don't really get many hammerings there so uh, looking forward to, to watching it should be it should be a good match yeah obviously the end of, of Salford's season sort of talk us through it what was the highs and the lows oh there's been there's been loads I mean we had a good start to the season you know it was a freezing cold night wasn't it at Castleford and we got that victory there and then beat to lose in an absolute monsoon the week after then we had, you know, some some big defeats. Then we were beating at Hull, beating at Huddersfield. We had a bit of a, a run there of form where you start sort of thinking we're going to struggle. We could be end up in that bottom two or three. And then after Easter, uh, we we seemed to pick up some wins. And after the Magic Weekend, really, we seemed to we got beat there, but we showed signs of improvements against Huddersfield. And then went in a good run then and, and sort of pummeled teams, didn't we? You know, the, the wins against Catalan, the win against Saints. Um, we had some belting wins there, and you know, going to Castleford and getting fifty points. It, it's been it's been great, and there's been some great performances, some real entertaining rugby league. I think a lot of it neutral supporters of supporters of other teams have said we've probably played the best rugby league this this season. And you know, you've got Wigan in there with the likes of Bevan French and Jai Field and St Helens with some of the classy players they've got, and you know, the Dragon Catalan Dragons as well. So to play to score the amount of points we've scored as well. It's been outstanding. It's been a pleasure to watch, and um, the the teams evolved hasn't it, as the season's gone on. Paul Rowley and, and Kurt Agatey and Danny Orr have got the best out of the the side, I think. And you know we've we've got players in the dream team. We've got a player in the in the chance of a man of steel. We've got Paul Rowley could get the coach of the year. So you know t- people of the rugby league public have sat up and sort of took note of Salford. I think we've really put ourselves back on the rugby league map. 
where do Salford need to improve for areas? Um, your squad, I think we just need a bit more um, more squad size. We, we, we've not we've not got a massive squad, have we? And you, you know, you lose a few players, which we have done in the season. We had to bring players in on loan, didn't we? You know, the lad who came in from Featherstone, um, his name escapes me now. Sorry, apologies, but you know, we had to bring people in. We were short on numbers, so if we could strengthen our squad a bit, I think maybe a couple of back rowers, maybe a loose forward if Elijah Taylor's leaving. But you know, the spine of the team. It's pretty settled. That that spine has been picking itself every week. You know, the, the two centres, the two wingers, your full-back, your half-backs, your hooker. It, they've all been picking themselves, haven't they? So if we can keep that spine, maybe just add a bit to it. I think we, we've got a, a good side again for next season. And You know, in 2019, when we got to the grand final, we lost a lot of that side, didn't we? Players moved on. You know, Jackson Aces went, Jake Bibby went, you know, one or two others went. So, um, you know, this season, hopefully we're going to hang on to the, the majority of our players and, and, and add to it. And if we do, I think we can be a dangerous side in 2023. Yeah, talking about players we want to hang on to. Brodie Croft, man of steel, contender. How good has he been this season? Oh, he's been tremendous. I mean, it, it took him a while to find his feet. You know, let's have it right. He wasn't a sparkling player from, from night one. I mean, if you remember back, um, his first involvement, he knocked the ball on against Castleford from the kickoff <laughs> when the season started because I remember my dad said we're blind we've not phoned 12,000 miles to do that but you know since you know he got better and better as the season went on he settled in he got a good partnership with Mark Sneed I think he's been fantastic I think he's been brilliant he's a quality man as well really good guy to speak to he's, he's got a bit of star quality about him hasn't he and, you know looking at Wigan the other night I mean they'd probably uh, bend over backwards for an half back like that because they're, they're struggling in the halves at the moment as are another number of teams so it's hopeful that Salford hang on to, to Brody now and we, we keep his services because he's a quality player and you know Mark Sneed as well I think's formed a good partnership with him and you've got Ryan Briley and that triangle as well I think Ryan deserves a lot of credit you know he's played at Super League before and, and got questioned you know people saying is he, is he a Super League player, you know, he did well for Lee in the Championship, but he's proved this season he's been fantastic. He's got another fantastic try against St. Helens at the weekend, so he's another one that's uh, that's been great. And as of a lot of other players that have stood up, Jack Roy, Alex Gerrard, who've, who've been around the block a while now, they've stood up this season and, and, and really come of age. So Dion Cross, another guy come from a Championship uh, background, Tyler Dupree, I think has, has come on leaps and bounds as well. There's so many good news stories behind that team, Rob. Yeah, and obviously Salford Devils are an opportunity club. They pick up these players from the Championship and uh, the Reserve Grade Rugby League in Australia and and promote them and and, and take and bring them into the Super League and, and create you know good players. Who stands out for you the most? The people who have come in this season. Who's the the number one uh, sort of uh, let's say opportunity player? Dion Cross is probably the one for me. Dion Cross and Alex Gerrard definitely. Um, I think Dion came in and. You know, a lot of people thought, well, he, he might be a squad player. You know, you've got Dan Sargis in there, Tim Lafayette came in, Joe Burgess, Reese Williams, you know, Ken Seal. How's Dion going to get into the team? But he played his way in there. I thought he was excellent in the friendly games at the start of the season. And he's been there all year. He's never lost his spot. So that's credit to him. He's never played Super League in his life before. So, you know, he's a relatively young man as well. He could have a massive, uh, massive future in the sport. And, you know, could be an international player if he keeps improving. Alex Gerrard as well. I'd like to give him another mention because, you know, when we first signed him, I'd seen him at Widness and Lee and never really thought he's a Super League 
player really because he's never played at that level. But boy, oh boy, he's he, he's done so well this season, and you know his his handling's been good. He's been an excellent acquisition to the to the side. So so those two for me have uh, have been great. Yeah, and obviously looking forward to sort of twenty twenty three with our you know semi final run. What do you think should be the target for next season? I don't think you can have targets really, Rob. I mean, every player wants to go out and win every game, don't they? So you've just got to try and improve, haven't you? And, and, and take it week by week. And I think Paul Roll is that sort of guy. I listened to his interview on Radio Manchester after the game yesterday. And he's so relaxed and so calm about it and so chilled out. Um, I think that's the way to be. So they'll just want to do as best as they can. Obviously, we'd all love to get to a Challenge Cup final. You want to get, you want to be competing. There's only two things you can win: the Challenge Cup or the Super League, isn't there? So you want to be doing your best in, in both of those. But I think the players deserve a rest now. Paul really deserves. I think the supporters do. I think it's been an emotional journey for us as well. So I am looking forward to a, a bit of time off from it. But but yeah, I think they've, they've got. A, you know, the sky's the limit. They've proved this season. I think with a bit of belief, you can do what you want. You don't have to have star names and things like that if you've got that togetherness that belief that hunger and that desire you can go an awful long way and, and look where we went we nearly went all the way yeah talking about hunger and desire and going all the way our other rugby league team Swinton Lions there in the playoff final uh, in a couple of weeks time what a season it's been for them yeah, yeah, they're almost there now, aren't they? They've got to play the winner of Rochdale Hornets and uh, and Doncaster, so you know that that'd be a tasty one, particularly with Rochdale Hornets. A bit of a derby match there, but Swinton's had a terrific season, haven't they? And uh, you know they they're, they're looking good. I think you know the, the sides that finished in the playoffs, they, they look the best side for me. They've got plenty of pace in that squad, and and I think they'll be firm favourites for that for that uh, for that final. It's been tough, hasn't it, competing with Keith Cougars? They've had a a really good season, gone through the year unbeaten, but uh, you know Swinton's got their eye on the prize. They've got a week off next week now, and with Hornets and, and Doncaster playing, so they'll want to prepare now, prepare right, and be uh, be ready for that for that final. I, I think from what I've heard, it's at Haywood Road as well. It's at their home ground, so um, that's another bonus for them, another advantage for them. So they'll be they'll be chomping to get back into the championship, and I think they will. I think they've, they've done enough this season. They've just got to finish it off now in that last game. Yeah, obviously Alan Coleman, you know, has led the troops this season after the relegation last season opportunity to bounce straight back up yeah definitely and and you know without disrespecting league one it's a tough league the championship is the place to be isn't it it's a, it's a cracking league you've got some big sides in there you're looking at this season it's been so competitive i know lee have run away with it a little bit towards uh, towards the end but you know some some huge teams in there you know it's a featherstone halifax york you know some cracking teams, and then if Swinton can get back in that sort of mix, you've got the the away following that's going to come as well. You know, that's a Bradford Boulder in there, so you've got all that to to come to to Haywood Road, and it's it's a big challenge being in that league, and um, I'm sure that's one. <clears throat> excuse me, Alan Coleman will be looking forward to to testing himself at. Yeah, obviously talking about the other teams in in our <clears throat> area, Sulphur Devils Ladies, they're in semi final action at the at uh, in in. Um, Carizad this weekend, uh, where they may face Hull Kingston Rovers on Sunday. Obviously, Chris Bates, ladies, champions of the the, cha- the championship, uh, cup winners as well. So, great season uh, for them. 
Yeah, they had a terrific season, and I'm sure Chris will, will, will have a game plan now for the for the coming coming weeks and the games to come, and they'll just want to put the icing on the cake now, and and I think they will. Is it? I saw some of the ladies players on on, on Saturday at the Saint Helens game, and they're full of confidence, aren't they? And they go watching the men's team as well, and they they travel together as a group, and you know they seem to have a great camaraderie, they're a great team spirit, and they're doing great things. You know, their first season, and that's only going to build as well. They're only going to get better and better, but yeah, they've. they've come so far this season now they'll want to finish that journey off with uh, some more wins yeah and obviously at Salford it's all very inclusive you've got the men's team you've got the ladies team you've got the learning disabilities team uh, you've got the physical disabilities team you've got pathways for, ch- for children and ladies uh, to, to go through the process and, and hopefully reach that first team spot yeah, you've got a pretty vibrant uh, community game as well. There's plenty of amateur sides in the local area that are doing pretty well. I know the Roosters have done well this season so far. There's a there's a good feel good factor at Salford City Roosters. So you know Langworthy, Folly Lane, the Little Holton Reds. You know what they're all. You know they're all doing really well. So um, so yeah, there's, there's there's a buzz at the moment at Salford, and you and you saw that on Saturday at the uh, at the grand final uh, semi final game. So uh, you know the public came out to to see it, and let's hope they they keep going next season and, and get behind both Salford and and Swindon, and uh, and we keep the sport going in our area because uh, you know it's a, it's a good sport. We've got two good sides represented us in the men's and the ladies as well. You know Swindon have got a ladies team, so it's it's a good time to be, to be involved in rugby league in the local area. Yeah, World Cup starts as well in a couple of weeks' time, Paul. How excited about about that are you? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've got a ticket for the warm-up game um, between England and Fiji that's been moved to the, the AJ Bell Stadium. I'm looking forward to watching that. And Yeah, I, I love the World Cup. I, I just hope England can can do it this time. You know, it's been a long time since we, uh, we won a World Cup, 1972. It's years ago, isn't it, now, since we beat the Australians in a, in a big game or covering New Zealand as well. I mean, Samoa, they're another good side. There's going to be some tests. I think there'll be some some banana skins and some shocks in that World Cup as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. You know, there's some great players going to be on show from the from the NRL as well. So, uh, so yeah, it should be a great tournament. Some some fantastic venues as well. You know, it's up and down the country. Real festival of rugby league and uh, you know, the wheelchair World Cup as well. The ladies World Cup. It's going to be great. It's going to be really, really good. There should be some cracking coverage of it as well. Hoping to get to a few of the games live if we can do. But, uh, but yeah, it should be brilliant. Yeah, and obviously Australia are favourites, but there is teams around them that that will challenge them if they get the opportunity. Yeah, I, I mentioned there Samoa. I think Samoa are very, very tough to to, to beat. Uh, Tonga as well. They're going to be good. You know, you look back to the last World Cup. Um, Tonga were awesome, weren't they? And that that game they had against uh, England. You know, that sea of red there. Um, you know, Papua New Guinea are always difficult to beat. New Zealand. You know, another good side, you know, ferocious back of forwards and, you know, Australia are the benchmark, aren't they? They're, they're going to be the test, but I think there'll be there'll be some 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 cracking games. You know, they really will and uh, it'd be great if England could go all the way. It really would. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how it all pans out. Yeah, and obviously it's being played all over the country, which is great. So you get eyes on the game uh, whenever you are in the country. Yeah, I mentioned that before. Yeah, he's going to be played at some stadiums where we don't normally associate rugby league and up and down the country and some some good stadiums as well so I, mean, there's no, I know there's a game at Newcastle you know we play the Magic Weekend there and that'll be cracker to, to see the you know, international rugby league go up there so uh, and other places as well so uh, so it should be good and, and it's going to be live on television so 
the uh, the the British public are going to be able to see, you know, a, a fantastic competition there, and uh, and let's hope England can 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 do really well in it because it will uh, will lift the nation and. Um, like I said, it's been, it's been a long time, hasn't it, since we got to, you know, won a World Cup. So, so why not? Let, let's let's dream about it and let's let's go for it because we've got some quality players, some quality players in the NRL as well who are coming over to play for England. So, should be should be brilliant. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Obviously, if England win the World Cup, obviously the whole nation will get behind them. And it's only going to benefit the likes of Salford, who, who you know are looking for support in the local area. They'll watch the England on on telly, and uh, hopefully come and follow Salford and Swinton in our local area. So that's all the rugby league chat now. And what we'll do, we'll uh, talk boxing with James Swinton. Yeah, now it's time for a bit of boxing, and I'm delighted to be talking to Paul Whiteside as ever. And the place we need to kick this off, Paul, Canelo Golovkin free. And this has been one of the greatest rivalries of our generation. These two men haven't liked each other. They've traded blows. They've traded insults. They've traded everything. There's a bit of an asterisk to this rivalry based on the fact that a lot of people had Golovkin winning the first two fights. This third bout, he looked the older man. Canelo seemed to win it quite comfortably. And what's your overall takeaway from the rivalry that these two men have had? Oh, it's been a tremendous rival. It's a tremendous rival, and you've got two tough men and two men that have been. I think Golovkin, to me, looked looked the older fighter, didn't he? In the in the third fight, um, I think Canelo's got a bit left in the tank. I'm not sure how much Golovkin's got, but they've both been lethal fighters. I mean, if you go back a few years ago, um, Golovkin was one of the most feared boxers on the planet, wasn't he? You know, he's punching power and not many people fancied getting in with him, did they? And we've seen quite a few of our British fighters, you know, go go in bravely with him. But he's he's, he's wore some really good fighters down, hasn't he? And finished them off in, in style. But, you know, Canelo, he's a special fighter, isn't he? He really was. And, and that fight for me at the weekend, I think he was, he was unanimous, really. He, was, he, he looked like he had plenty left in the tank, whereas... Um, Whereas Golovkin didn't really, so uh, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a great rivalry, and to see to see the fights, they've, they've all been tremendous, haven't they? But uh, but yeah, Canelo Canelo took it comfortably, I thought. As you say, there great fights, great legacy for both men. But what does GGG get out of the back of this? Because there's been three fights. There's a very good case to make that he's won two of them, but on his record, he's got zero wins. Yeah, it's tough for him. It's tough to take, and, and that sport sometimes isn't. You can put so much in and not get the decision. Like you said there, I mean, I thought the the, the first two fights he, he was pretty hard done to. Really, I mean, this this third one was was pretty cut and dried. But but no, it's difficult. And you know, at his stage of his career now, where does he go from there now? Because he did look, you know, like he was coming towards the end. I think in that fight, but I'm not so sure whether he'll he'll carry on or, or what now. But uh, but no, it's a shame because it was. It's been a good legacy that with, with, with those three fights. But obviously, it's done now. They're not going to fight again. But uh, but no, he's had a tremendous career, hasn't he? You know, a really feared feared boxer. And as I said, he's, he's put some fantastic fighters away comfortably, hasn't he? So uh, and been you know the boxer of a generation, really. So, uh, but I think Canelo, he just seems to go from strength to strength, doesn't he? Um, when you see him, sometimes he doesn't really look like a boxer. Sometimes there, but. I think he's a tremendous athlete and, you know, whoever gets in with him, you fear for him really because he, he can tear people apart. Yeah, he's still probably the face of boxing Canelo Alvarez. Golovkin, definitely the older man in there, make no bones about it. But at the age of 32, having been pro since he was 16 years of age, he's had a lot of wear and tear. How many big nights has Canelo Alvarez got left? Um, 
I don't, I, probably not so many now. At 32, he's been in, you know, if you look at his record there, he's been in a lot of tough fights, hasn't he? And been in with, with the best of the best. So I don't know who, who else is there for him to face, really. I mean, you know, you run out of people in the end sometimes, don't you? So I'm sure he'd like to go out at the top. But, you know, at the moment, his body looks like it's holding out well. He's a terrifically fit athlete. He's got all the skills in the world. He doesn't look like he's slowing down at the moment. So I'd still say there's probably time left in him yet, which is good for us to see as, you know, as boxing fans. Yeah, most certainly. Is there anyone at the top of the wish list that you'd like to see Canelo get in with next? I mean, there's there's rematches with the likes of Billy Joe and, and Caleb Plant out there. There's fights against David Benavides. Maybe he wants to avenge that loss to Dramitio Bivol. Is there anyone who stands out in particular? Yeah, I think the Bibble fight's a good one. Um, I'd like it to, to see him against some of the some of the best British fighters. You know, I really would. I think you know Callum Smith. That could be another fight that gets made. You know, I'd like to see him come over to these shows and and, and fight somebody. It's, but it's just getting somebody up to to that level, really. But yeah, there's some there's some good fights there for him. You know, I think the Bibble one stands out for me. I'd like to see that. But whoever he gets in with, you know, he's such a superstar of boxing, isn't he? Whoever he gets in with, he's gonna, he's gonna fear him because he's he's a tremendous fighter. But he's one of those once in a generation fighters. Like I said before, he, he he's terrific, terrific to watch, and you know he's 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 lethal. He's absolutely lethal. He lives and breathes the sport, and you know, yeah, I can't wait to see where his where his journey goes next. And in positive news in boxing, we're living in a world right now where terms have been agreed. For Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence and Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua, are we genuinely going to get both of these super fights before the end of the year? Possibly. Yeah, I was talking to somebody the other day who I've mentioned to you before and he thought he might be on the undercard for Joshua and Fury. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. So, you know, it's positive signs, isn't it, when people and, and boxers are talking like that. So... Let's hope so. What we are now, we're in October, aren't we? So they have to sort something out quickly. But I think it'd be tremendous, you know, if we could get those two fights on, particularly the British fight, you know, between Fury and, and Joshua. It's one everybody wants to see. And yeah, I, I don't know whether Anthony Joshua would fancy that, you know, um, after just coming off a, you know, a tough defeat. It's it's probably got a short turnaround for him. But but if it happens, it happens. It'd be great to see in, in the the Spence. Uh, junior fight as well yeah I think that'd be another another top fight you know against Terrence Crawford so yeah if we can see those I think we're in for a treat there if we get those before uh, before the end of 2022 and with Tyson Fury potentially going down the Anthony Joshua route it leaves a vacancy for Alexander Usyk early next year he's called out Deontay Wilder providing he can get past a very tough Robert Hellenius that could be a fight for early next year yeah definitely I think that'd be another terrific fight it'd be a different style for um for Usyk, you know, um, he's a very dangerous puncher, Deontay Wilder. We spoke about him loads, haven't we? And the power he possesses, he's one-punch power. Um, if he was to catch Usyk, you know, that could be lights out for him, but he's catching him. You know, he's such a such a slippery fighter and such a skillful fighter as well. So you've got two styles there that are going to gonna gel together, I think. I think that'd be a good, a, a real good, uh, real good fight. Um, the Joshua and, and Fury one, it's... That's another one. How would that one go? You've got two fighters there who are, who are totally different, really, totally different styles. And, you know, how, how does Anthony Joshua approach that one? Does he go hell for leather to try and flatten Fury? You know, Fury's going to box and move, isn't he? So you've got you've got two fights there 
that you'd, you'd you'd probably struggle to pick a winner. Really, you probably got your favourites, but they could go either way. So, um, so yeah, they they mouth watering really when you think about them. I mean, you're going to sell out wherever wherever they they're. Um, Stage, you know, whether it's outside or a massive arena, I think for the Joshua Fury, where you're gonna have that, that'd have to be Wembley Stadium, I'm, sh- I'm sure, if it's in this country. So, so yeah, it's exciting times. Looking back at some of the action over the weekend on British soil, some Manchester action, Lyndon Arthur returning to winning ways after his defeat to Anthony Yard. Uh, Troy Williamson getting a win and setting up that Josh Kelly fight. And then there was a big bill on BT Sport. Denzel Bentley getting the better of Marcus Morrison. The Manchester man tried his best, but ultimately not enough. Yeah, I, I saw some clips of that fight. And um, we know Bentley's, uh, you know, he's a good fighter, Denzel Bentley. Very, very skilled fighter. He, you know, dispatched Mark Efron um, recently in some good fights there. So I think Mike was a big step for Marcus. You know, he's he was on the, the rise, really, and then had a couple of defeats that brought him back down to earth. And, you know, he went down there with, with high expectations. And um, it was a brutal finish, really, from, from, from Bentley. You know, credit to Morrison. Morrison's as tough as they come. He's been in some real wars. And, you know, he was battered around for the, a couple of rounds there, early doors. And uh, Bentley's a good fighter, though. Real tough fighter. And um, hard one for Marcus Morrison to take that. But, uh, but no, Bentley's, um, Bentley's quality. In slightly sad news, Lee Ward is injured and will not be fighting Mauricio Lara. They're looking to rearrange that contest a little bit further down the line. That means that Kid Galahad and Maxi Hughes has been promoted to the top of the bill. And a good fight, but is it a main eventer in a 10,000-seater arena? Um, Probably not. Probably not. But I think when somebody drops out, you've just got to make the best of the situation, haven't you? It's a shame for, for Ward. You know, he's worked really hard, hasn't he, to get that opportunity tough camp as well and then pick up an injury it's uh it's one of those and you know galad has been a good fighter though and you know he'll, he'll he'll take some support with him there as well so it should be a good night that but yeah ten thousand is a big a big crowd but hopefully they'll have a good night and the i mean people probably bought the tickets anyway haven't they now but uh it's a shame for it forward yeah it most certainly is and what looked like a shame was the chris eubank jr kind of m fight which was supposedly off chris eubank senior claiming that he pulled his son out of the fight Exact quote saying that he'd lost one son and he didn't want to lose another due to the weight restrictions that had been placed on Chris Eubank Jr. We're led to believe, according to Callie Sauerland, the promoter of this bout, that the fight will go on. What is this? Is it mind games from Eubank Sr.? Is there a genuine argument between the, the father and son as to whether this fight should go ahead? What's your perspective on it? Well, I, I saw a bit of... Um bit of the, the, the training and that this week, Conor Ben. Um, he looks bigger than what he's looked for a long time. He looked massive, actually. He looked, he looks in fantastic shape. Uh, from Eubank Jr. as well, I've seen he looks in good shape. So I, I hope that fight goes ahead because watched a bit of the um, the face-off between the two of them and th- there's no love lost between them as a, there really isn't. You know, Conor Ben is absolutely driven and focused for this fight. Uh, Eubank's playing it cool, isn't he? I seen him eating a piece of birthday cake, I think it was on, on Twitter, and uh, you know, trying to wind up Conor Ben. But the rivalry there is tremendous. It's captured our imagination. So it, there is a big size difference between the pair of them. I thought that when the fight got made, but uh, but it, it's gone a bit far. And I wasn't, you know, from to start, you know, talking about losing his son and things like that. It's, it's just a strange thing to say, and I, I, I get that. But you know, perhaps it is a bit of mind games. I'm, I'm not too sure. Yeah, it could well be. I mean. Eating the cake, 
Does that suggest that he isn't taking this seriously, or does it suggest that he's doing the weight easily? Because usually when somebody's cutting weight for a fight, they're stuffing cake, are they? Yeah, but that clip I saw, he only had a mouthful. So you, you don't know, dear. Perhaps a lot of it's mind games and... You know, perhaps he didn't finish the rest of it. Perhaps somebody else had the rest of it. I don't know. But, yeah, perhaps he is. But I think he's that sort of customer, uh, Eubank Jr. I think he's a he's a cool guy. He's a guy that sort of gets under your skin. If you look back at the Liam Williams fight, Liam Williams, I think he lost that fight in his head because Eubank just got so far under his skin. He was so emotional on that fight night. It, it probably tired him out. So, you know, Eubank, he's like his daddy. He stays cool, does it, and, and sort of winds people up. But then on fight night, he can he can fight as well. He's a really tough man. So, so I, and I think Conor Ben is he's really, um, really driven for this one. You know, he, he's got that, that glint in his eye. So you're going to see a real shootout between those two. It's going to be absolute fireworks when they come out. There'll be no sort of dancing around the ring and measuring each other up. I think they'll go for it from, from the first bell. Talking dancing around the ring, Floyd Mayweather is back in action this weekend against a Japanese fighter, Makira Asakura. Not somebody we're too familiar with in the boxing world. Apparently, should he get past uh, this fighter, he'll be fighting another YouTuber. We'll get onto that in you know in a few weeks' time when that that inevitably gets announced. But is this one that you're going to tune into at all? Or like we said the other week, is Floyd Mayweather becoming almost irrelevant in the scene at the moment because of these exhibitions against people that nobody's really heard of? These exhibitions, James, they don't really capture my imagination. It's not really something that interests me, if I'm honest. And that's not me being disrespectful, you know. You remember Mayweather from some of his fantastic fights and his world title fights and, you know, selling out arenas and and things like that where you're fighting the best of the best. So now to be fighting YouTubers and and people like that, it, I don't I don't know. It it just seems a bit of a circus to me. So it's not something that, you know, I'm a bit of a boxing purist, so I'm not really into that, to be honest. And that's not me being disrespectful to Mayweather. So, so no, it's not something that I'll be bothering with, really, if I'm, if I'm, I'm brutally honest with you. Now it's time to move on to the big one, Paul. We're both going to this card at the Manchester Arena. We're looking forward to it. The heavyweight main event. There's a fantastic undercard, but there's one fight that everybody's coming for. Joe Joyce versus Joseph Parker. A tremendous matchup. The juggernaut, a man who keeps walking forward, apparently has a chin that's seemingly indestructible, has won every single fight he's been in. He's ready for his step up to world title level, but stood in his way is Joseph Parker, a Kiwi with fantastic movement, enormous talent, and seems to have come on leaps and bounds under Andy Lee. How are you seeing this one going into Saturday? Oh, tough, tough one. It's a very, very close fight to call. Um, I'm just edging for Park at the moment for his experience. You know, he's been uh, he's been in some massive title fight, world title fights himself. Probably just got that edge on on, on Joe Joyce. But Joe Joyce, as you said there, he is a juggernaut. He, he can punch, and phew, this one could go either way. It should be fireworks. It should be explosive. You know, I've seen uh, Parker. He's been really putting it in his train, hasn't he? With, with Tyson Fury, you know, run up and down the beach in Morecambe. So, both fighters have left no stone unturned. They both put in tremendous camps, and no, it should be it should be a great fight to watch and a real, real heavyweight shootout. For me, Parker, as I mentioned before, come on leaps and bounds with Andy Lee. And do you think his new trainer will be incredibly important in the corner in terms of getting in this weekend? I mean, could he beat Joyce without Andy Lee in his corner? 
No, it's a good question. Andy Lee was a, a cracking fighter, wasn't he? A cracking middleweight. And, you know, at a time when we had some some real good British and Irish middleweight. So um, he knows the game inside out. There's no doubt about that. He's a very knowledgeable, knowledgeable man in boxing. And, and I think he's, um, you know, he's a good guy for, for Parker to have. Um, yeah, it, I don't know whether he's he, he's still got the skills anyway. We've seen that before, before he was working with Andy Lee. You know, he's fought for world titles and I remember when he first came on the scene and he, I don't think he ever fulfilled his potential really. And, you know, now's his time, I think, now to, to get back on the ladder and, and get up there in the, with the top heavyweights. You know, we were talking before, weren't we, about Deontay Wilder, Joshua, Usyk and people like that, um, Tyson Fury. You know, if he wants to get back up there in that sort of level, you, you've got to, you've got to win this fight, haven't you? And, and Joe Joyce has got his own um, ambitions as well. So um, so yeah, it's it's a real crossroads fight for both fighters, um, and, and it should be should be great to watch. There's a cracking undercard as well. There's loads of fights to get through, but let's go for the co-main event first. Amanda Serrano just headlined Madison Square Garden against Katie Taylor in one of the biggest women's fights of all time. She's going to be competing in a unification matchup against Sarah Mahfoud. It's come a bit out of the blue, this one, in terms of it ending up on this card. It's a great one for me and you who are going to the arena to get to see such a high-class matchup. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be it should be a cracking fight, and, and it's a good card, as you said. And, and yeah, I think that's um, that's that's got to uh, be the next one down for the main event, really. That judging from the quality of both the fighters, so uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing all the fights, and uh, and that's definitely one. I, w- I won't be missing any of it once I get in the arena. I'll uh, I won't move from me my chair. If I need a drink, I'll send my wife for one <laughs> because I won't be missing any of the fights. <laughs> In terms of local news, we've got Heffron on the bill, but we'll get to him in just a second. But the three fights above him, we've got Michael Bagnesi taking on Anthony Kakachi for the IBO world title, Ika Usman against Samuel Antwi, and Nathan Heaney versus Jack Flatley. And Heaney, a man from Stoke, not necessarily the world's most talented fighter, but somebody who's produced a massive fan base in Stoke, one of the biggest in the country. And could he get past Flatley? He could end up fighting at Stoke City for you know a British title. Yeah, he could, and that'd be tremendous. You know, Stoke City's ground holds about twenty odd thousand, doesn't it? So, and, and you know, you know, people around that neck of the woods love the sport. They're very passionate, and you know, he's one of their own. So, so I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I mean, I'm sure there'll, there'll be a lot of Stokies who will come to to Manchester on, on on Saturday night, and they'll make the atmosphere tremendous. I mean, the atmosphere in the arena has been brilliant. I've been a few times when when Anthony Crawl has been on, and one or two others, and it's been it's been a great night. And uh, you know, there's a new generation now of fighters, and uh, yeah, it's going to be. It's going to be a buzzing night in there on on Saturday night. Now for the last fight, Mark Heffron. This isn't confirmed. He's got no opponent as of right now. But the rumor mill is saying that he'll be fighting ten and six Argentinian Martin Ekiziel Bilaco. It's still it's not necessarily the greatest opponent, but it's a massive stage for Heffron to uh, showcase his skills. And should he get past this one, I mean, I don't know how much we can say, but there could be some massive stuff for him coming up. There's a big British fight on the cards for him with a fighting a man from Bolton. Um, if he can get through, uh, little levers, meet Cleaver, uh, possibly being um, you know one of those fights that that'd be a tremendous fight. You know, an Oldham fighter against a Bolton fighter that'd be a top one. But he's got to get through this one first. And he's you know watching his social media and that he he does an awful lot of work. He's always running up and down Buckstones Hill. Uh, you know, getting himself in tremendous shape. For this fight, you know, fighting Amir Khan's gym, and um, you know, he does a lot of his strength and conditioning at Oldham as well. So he's he's 
been in the gym loads for this fight, really, really working hard. And he's been very active recently in the last 12 months as well. So, uh, so yeah, and I know Hefron's got a big fan base in Oldham. He'll be taking quite a, you know, selling a lot of tickets for that as well. Local guy. So, uh, I'm sure he'll have Anthony Crawler and Joe Gallagher in his corner as usual, maybe Scott Quigg. So, he's, um, yeah, he's on the rise at the moment. He really is. And, um, you know, he's, he's 30 now. So, he, he's got a... Um, He's got to do it quick, hasn't he, really, before um, his career flashes past him. But, no, a big fight. You know, every fight's now. So, like I said, we, we're not confirmed who he is fighting. But I think if he gets through this one, then there's some big British bouts around the corner. There is. And we can't wait to see everything that's in store for Mark Efron. And what's in store this weekend? We're seeing Joe Joyce and Joe Park, a matchup that fans can't afford to miss, live on BT Sport. And we'll break it all down this time next week. But now it's time for the football. Rob... Manchester United in the Champions League beating Sharif 2-0. We needed some points on the board after the Real Sociedad loss and we got them. Yeah, good result uh, for Hentag's men. Obviously, you know, not the European competition that they wanted to be in, but opportunity for players to, to string a bit of form together, score some good goals and old Ronaldo got on the score sheet with his, his penalty. So that's good for him. And obviously... It's a result which Mitch Man United needed and, and, and wanted. So, what, what did you think, James? Yeah, I thought it was a good performance from Manchester United. I mean, in the Premier League, we strode early doors. Ten Hag managed to get the spirits up at Carrington, get the lads back on firing form, and they began to produce a good form in the league. We needed to do the exact same thing in the Champions League. We've done just that. I thought it was a great performance from the lads, and we kick on to the next one. It's a competition which, really, we don't have an excuse not to win. Well, one of the best sides in there, and Herrick Ten Hag's experience in Europe. He's, I mean, he's shown with uh, the Champions League that he knows what he's doing. I mean, he's taken Ajax to the semi-finals before beating the likes of Juventus and, and teams of that sort of calibre. So I think he's more than capable of guiding Manchester United to the next level. As for the game itself, Cristiano Ronaldo bagging a penalty. Jadon Sancho scored and then lifting his shin pad in the air in a tribute to a fan who actually gave him the designer shin pad with a picture of his face on him. So a nice touching tribute from Sancho there towards a young fan. Yeah, obviously, you know, fans, they have idolised these these players, don't they? And, and you know, have that opportunity with, with the shin pad to share that moment. It's a, it's a great thing. Uh, obviously, who were your players growing up that you idolised, James? And one player, one player alone, Rob. Uh, Paul Scholes was my favourite. He was amazing. I remember my dad in the living room once doing an impression of Paul Scholes and volleying a, a football into a photo frame and smashing it. And my mum going ballistic at him. So, uh, yeah, that was one of my standout childhood memories. But Paul Scholes has always been my man. Was your living room like 40 yards long? Was that why, I'm pro was that why it was so impressive? Uh, I wouldn't say my living room was quite 40 yards long, but uh, I mean, it, it was a decent volley, to be fair. He caught it well. It's just hit uh, a photo frame, destroyed said photo frame. But... It's a testament to my dad's power. So I mean you could take it that way. This is it. He could have he could have made it, James. It could have been the you could have been so different if someone had witnessed this volleying of of the ball into the photo frame. It could have yeah, been I mean, like would have so been much fourties at the time. Uh he was a carpet fitter by trade and had somebody noticed this, they could have gone, You've got a few good years left in you, sir. Uh, come out and uh, play for United. Mm. Obviously, talking about uh, you know a few good years, uh, we're hoping. Obviously, uh, Casemiro, United's new signing, uh, will, will be uh, you know around at Old Trafford for a few years. It's coming, and, and from what we've seen so far, James, it's been it's been okay. Yeah, he's a good player, Casemiro. I mean, this is a man who's won a plethora of Champions League titles, played for Real Madrid at the very highest level, and when we signed him. 
I thought it was a great addition to the squad. He's somebody who knows success, and a lot of these players don't anymore. Yes, we've got Ronaldo, and he, of course, falls into this calibre. But we've got a plethora of players who aren't aware of what success means because they haven't had it in recent years at Manchester United. So Casemiro injects that spirit into the club. He's not playing for a side, ideally, who are going to lose. He wants to play for sides that are going to win. So I think he's going to make a massive impact throughout the rest of the season. Granted, it's going to take him a bit of time to knock off the cobwebs and to get him flourishing in a new side after so long at the Bernabeu. But I believe he's more than capable. Yeah. And obviously, he's coming to that midfield at Manchester United. We needed reinforcing, obviously, you know, with with Fred and 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 uh, you know McTominay, you know, doing a job. But he, he, like you say, he's been at the the top level, and he, he's he's brought uh, that calmness, which is which is what is needed, I think, in that area. Yeah, most certainly, he's got poise. He's not necessarily the you know the slickest of players. He's just a no nonsense type, old school man. He'll deliver the ball where it needs to be delivered. No nonsense. He isn't flashy. He isn't slick. He just does what he has to do. And I think that's something needed at Manchester United because the egos we've had in the squad over the past few years with, you know, the likes of Paul Pogba and, and players like that. I feel Casemiro brings a more reserved approach. He plays for the team and not himself. And that's why he's going to make a very good addition. But talking about additions, Diego Costa signing for Wolves. That came a bit out of left field. Yeah. Yeah, Diego Costa. Obviously, lots of uh, people talk about Wolves and not having any end product, and I'm sure he will bring that to Wolves. Obviously, you know, a, a good career with, with Chelsea and uh, Atletico Madrid, scoring goals, and I'm sure Wolves play in that way. He, he will, he will keep finding the net, and and that's what I suppose the team like Wolves and Aston Villa and, and teams like that is is about finding uh, these quality players, quality players that are either. You know, just going over the hill are players that are coming in, uh, you know, unknown into the Premier League and turning them into superstars. That's where they are. Yeah, most certainly. But regardless of his addition, it wasn't enough for Wolves to deter Manchester City. They uh, absolutely battered Wolverhampton 3-0. Grealish, Harlan, Folan bagging the goals. And then they also played Dortmund, winning 2-1 there. Stones and Haaland bagging again after uh, Bellingham uh, managed to bag the first goal for Borussia Dortmund. Stones and Haaland in the 80th and 84th minutes, respectively, showing that Manchester City have got a bit of bottle in Europe. They've not shown that in the past, and it'll be a massive, massive plus for Haaland to have bagged against his old side. Yeah, obviously he's a machine, isn't he? He just, he just, just seems to to score every week, and uh, he's, he's kind of showing what the Premier League, you know, what he's got. And we we know, you know, we've seen him in in Europe throughout the year scoring goals, and and now he's at Man City doing it again. The Premier League against the best defenses in the world, and you know we've only got you know high praise for him. I know Alan Shearer, what is it, two hundred and sixty goals or something in his in his Premier League career. You know, if he carries on like this, he'll be done by me. <laughs> he will be because those goals just seem to be going up and up and up. And I'll get on to Shearer in a second because there's a topic there that I'd like to speak to you about. But Haaland becoming the first player ever to score 25 goals in his first 20 Champions League games. And this is showcasing the calibre of where this man is. Ronaldo, for example, hadn't even scored at that point in his Champions League career. Mm. Yeah, he is a machine. He is probably, you know, the best player of, of his generation at the moment. And 
I suppose he's just a goal scorer. He doesn't really have much of a, you know, uh, a hand in in the build up of the play, and he doesn't really. He's not really a kind of a team player in that way. He just he's just there when he needs to be to pop the ball in the goal, and and he's going to be worth his weight in gold at Man Man City because he gives them an extra dimension because he's quick, so he can go over the top, and he's also a goal poacher. So anything in that six yard box is his. He's strong, he's agile, uh, and you know Premier League defenders just struggling to sort of deal with him really. Yeah, he's becoming a bit of a nightmare, isn't he? And when you compare him to all these players, he, he could end up being better than all of them. I mean, you've got to remember, Rob, this guy is 22 years old. Yeah, yeah. and that's the scary thing, James, because obviously at 22, he's still finding his way in, in a theory. So what's it going to be like in five years' time when he's when he's reaching his peak? Uh, he's going to be unplayable. And obviously, if Man City can manage to you know, keep him, there's no reason why you would want to leave Man City. You know, you're only going to leave Man City if you want to go somewhere else, really, uh, you know, with all the money and, and the success they're having. So it's going to be fascinating to see sort of what happens uh, to him. Obviously, Man United, we have you know different kinds of problems, but Man City's got uh, loads of good players and not one problem. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, I can't wait to see how this all turns out for the Norwegian. But going back to Shearer very quickly, Rob, I mean, we mentioned there how many goals he scored, 260. Mm. Rooney's in second place in the Premier League right now with 208. Harry Kane has 188. So he only needs 20 more to catch up with Rain Rooney. Mm. But my question to you is, when their careers come to, well, when his career comes to an end, will Harry Kane have scored more Premier League goals than Alan Shearer? Uh, Yeah. I'd say so because um, Harry Kane, how old is Harry Kane? About 28? 29, I think, Harry 29. Kane. 29. So he could, in theory, go to about 35. I think Shearer was quite old when he finished 33, 35. So I think he, he's going to, he's averaging, what, 20, 30 goals a season. You know, he'll continue that, especially since Tottenham now have, you know, quality, you know, the quality players. They aren't the Tottenham of, of five years ago where, where, you know, they weren't really competing. Uh, Alan Shearer was, you know, part of a Blackburn team that won the championship. He had, he was part of a team at Newcastle that was built around him. He scored goals at Southampton as well. So I suppose for Harry Kane to score all his goals at Tottenham shows that he is the better striker. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see. I suppose it's they always said in it. If it depends on the, if he stays injury free, that's another thing you have to have to think about. Um, but yeah, I do I do see him beating the Alan Shearer record. Uh, maybe not this year, but a few years down the line. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be a massive achievement for him when he does that. Talking achievements, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's had several offers since uh, leaving Manchester United to get back in the dugout. He's officially done it. He's managing his son's under-14s team. And I'm led to believe he's been guiding them to victories. Yeah, he's doing, he's doing really well. Uh, and that's and that's what football's all about. It's about teamwork and, and, and playing football. Yeah, it most certainly is. Solskjaer, a man who had a hard time at Manchester United. The squad didn't want to play for him. But is there still a future for the Norwegian man in management? I think so. I think, obviously, Manchester United didn't quite work out for him. And I, I do feel he has something to offer. Um, whether he'll get another opportunity at the highest level, it remains to be seen. Uh, but you'd hope he, he does get an opportunity to, to prove the doubt is wrong and that um, you know leaving Manchester United wasn't wasn't the right decision. Now, a man who has his doubters, Graham Potter, 
Uh, he's done extremely well at Brighton, but he's now taken on a massive chance of taking on the reins at Stamford Bridge. Is he ready for this big an opportunity? Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, with Potter coming in, Chelsea are big size, better load of money. You know, will he? Can he sort of uh, gain the respect of that dressing room from what he's done so far in his career? So that's a big ask for me. Um, we'll have to wait and see. It's it's top, top four, top five clubs, so there's different pressures than what he's expected uh, and what he's used to. Um, so it will be interesting to see. Obviously, Turkle leaving, you know, as a, a mind blower for me because obviously he you know, just won the Champions League last season. So uh, to, to to be out of a job now is, is is crazy. But I suppose new owners coming to Chelsea, they want to put their stamp on the team, uh, the club, uh, and that's what they've gone for. You, well, if you're a Chelsea fan, you're hoping it's the right one, but. Uh, Time will tell. I'm led to believe that Potter was on Manchester United shortlist before yeah. they opted for Eric Ten Hag. Do you think he would have been a good fit at the Theatre of Dreams? Uh, no, because Man United is a different kind of pressure in it, um, especially being a sort of a British coach as well. I suppose coming from relative obscurity um, would have been. Uh, it might not have been an advantage because obviously Man United you need winners don't you and would that Man United squad that you know that Hentag has as uh, as in, inherited would they respected him knowing what he's he'd done in his career so far so I think the board probably made the right decision uh, but I am you know I am willing to be uh, made made a fool of and, and him go and win the Champions League and the Premier League, Premier League for Chelsea we never know. We could go on to do big things. He certainly proved that he got the minerals to uh, <laughs> to take a side to a, a, a decent level in terms of what he's done with Brighton. But uh, moving on, back down the Manchester United film, Gary Neville has made his feelings abundantly clear on Todd Bowley, the man who is now the chairman of Chelsea, the American who's come in with shares in, I think, LA Lakers and, and baseball teams and the like. He's pitched the idea of an All-Stars game between the best players in the north of the Premier League and the best players in the south, he believes it'd be a fantastic opportunity to revolutionise the game, to broaden the financial opportunities. Is this something you'd like to see, or are you with Gary Neville in terms of he doesn't like the idea of Americanising the sport? Yeah, I don't. I don't see how North East South sort of plays out really, because obviously, where does where's the split? I mean, like. Are we talking Birmingham, Watford? I mean, if you're down south, anything south of north of Watford is is the north. But if you're in the north, I'm thinking anything sort of south of Birmingham, really. But where where's the line? Where's the cutoff? Uh, and obviously, these clubs that are on the cutoff, you know, what players think then? You know, like I, I, you know, you move around, uh, you move to Newcastle one one season, a couple of years there, you end up down at Southampton, you play for North and the South, so there's no sort of loyalty uh, there. Um, but yeah, it's it's a strange old decision. I think it's just more Americanism coming into the sport, trying to make a bit more money, which is you know what football is it's it's just a, a money making uh, racket uh, and they'll try any way to to keep filling up the uh, the the money pots is it an idea that you think it's going to crash and burn or do you think Bahili, somebody who clearly has had so much success you know in america do you think he could actually get this sort of thing over the line i don't i don't see it, james i mean where do you play it i mean you'd have to have like a three game you'd have to have like a three game uh, series you'd have to play one up north You'd have to play one down south, and then where'd you play the other one? 
because you can't play it in the north, you can't play it in the south because it gives the um, another team the advantage. So it's just a bizarre, uh, you know, situation. I just think he'll just it's one of them where he probably says it. The chairman will get round uh, the next board meeting and say, right, you know what, we don't we don't do that kind of thing here. Yeah, it's certainly a strange one. But now moving on. England have got a couple of big games, Italy and Germany. Mm. The Italy game massive, bearing in mind, you know, we've had such a rivalry with that team over the years and them obviously beating us in the Euros. It's a massive opportunity for us to get, an, a, a, you know, a revenge win, mm. especially considering they won't be playing in the, world, uh, in the World Cup whatsoever due to the fact that they failed to make it. But these are our last games before we go into the major competition. So it's important that we get big wins here. It is. It is, James. Obviously, you know, we, we need to, to obviously build confidence ahead of the World Cup. And uh, these two games will, will be a real test for, for Gareth Southgate's men. An opportunity to, to have a look around the squad and, and, and see who it will be taking to uh, the World Cup in, in Qatar. Obviously, being played in the winter, it's going to be a different feel, different uh, environment. And obviously, with a minute to go, James, it's... it's um, World Cup at a different time of year and it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah, it's going to be extremely strange. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy regarding where it's being held, but very weird. But before we get off, Rob, quickly preview it. Sutton versus Salford this weekend. And after a mixed bag for Salford over the last week, a win against Harrogate, a loss against Tranmere, we need to bounce back with a big win here, don't we? Yeah, they do. They do need to to, to grip the bull by the horns and, and, and get a result. Obviously, mixed results in the last uh, couple of weeks, couple of uh, this week, and, and we do need to obviously bounce back with a with a win. Uh, and we're hoping, obviously, we can we can talk about that on the Sports Zone or Salford Radio next week. Obviously, you know, we're wishing the boys all the best, uh, and hopefully, we'll we'll come away uh, with a a big win uh, this weekend. So big thanks for tuning in. It's this week's Sports Zone. I'm Rob Parkson, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. Mm-hmm.